Live? And we're live. What's going on, D-Bags? Hope you guys are doing well. I'm back here with, yes, another episode of Detox Podcast, episode 85. Check in my notes. Wow, we have been doing this for far too long. Uh, my name is Darren Rita. I'm your host. Feel free to connect with me at any of the links down below. Uh, if you're interested in music, podcasts, or comedy, do consider subscribing. We are up, not fastly, but we're approaching 700. And before I introduce you guys to my guest this week, I just want to talk to you real quick about car insurance. These days, it seems as if we're able to do more and more from home. So while you're at home, why aren't you saving money on your car insurance? Your hometown agency, Kenosha Auto Insurance, has specialized for years in simple, hassle-free car insurance using the latest in touch-free technology to help you get the best rates for you and your family. So what are you waiting for? Give them a call today, 262-448-4141. That's 448-4141. The website is kenoshains.com. It's on the screen right now. One last time, that's 262-448-4141. Now, with all that... All that out of the way, all the church announcements done. I'm going to pull up the live chat here real quick. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just pumped to introduce you guys my guest this week. We've talked about him. If you've been following the channel at all, we, we've definitely we've talked about him at, at lengths here on this podcast. Um, and also also very highly of. Um, he, he actually was, like me, played college basketball, much higher division than I did. Uh, so former NCAA college athlete. Also, collegiate level basketball coach, and is now the owner and operator of the Grind Factory in Madison. Let's give a wet detox welcome to Jamal Mosley. There's no la there's no clap track, but I'm clapping. We're clapping for you. How are you? How are you, Jamal? Uh, pleasure and honor to be here, D. Rita. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, it's it's honestly it's it's a very full circle moment for me and for the show, um, especially with our relationship and whatnot. And I also wanted to just say. Uh, congrats on on the grind factory and everything that's going on with that right now. It looks like it's you know it's a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So for for those that don't know, we're gonna get into um, Jamal was my was my college coach, um, and we're gonna get into all that in a little bit. But first, you know how how has been this process of starting up the grind factory? What is it um, for those that don't know? And then I guess we can get into how you started it. Right, so the Grand Factory is a private facility gym that I own down here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, it's got a half-court facility in there um, with a hoop. Uh, we got some TVs, we got some t uh, some weightlifting equipment, Vertimax machine, so everything an athlete would need to get better. Nice. Um, so how does that work then? Is it something where it's like you know more of a private session thing, group sessions, whatnot? Exactly. So we run private and small group sessions out of there. Oh, okay. So do you, for like players wise then, how, what's, who do you train? Like how, how often do you train with the people you train? How does that all work? Um, we're in the gym seven days a week. Um, I'm blessed or was blessed enough that I hired on an additional trainer because I had so, so much, uh, um, motion, I guess. Oh, and nice, nice. Of demand. So, um, there's two trainers there, me and my, myself, and I have another another trainer named Leangelo, who goes by Lee. Um, we're open seven days a week. We do private training, small group trainings all day long. Um, my hours are basically a little bit different than his because I do have a, a, a day job, um, but he's there all day long. Um, and we pride ourselves on, on catering to every athlete. Um, so, I mean, we have the sixth grader that can't quite dribble yet all the way to I, I'm proud to say one of our probably most known students is uh, is a female that's uh, ranked in the top in the top 100 of the ESPN. 
Oh, wow. And so she has been that way for the last two years. We take no credit for that, but she does come <laughs> to our gym often. That's right. She's there five days, seven days of the week. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, we got we have a lot of kids there right now that are coming and going. Um, we just like being able to be there and, and just be a, um, a cog on their way to success. That's yeah, that's incredible. How how is that then with I mean, you're dealing with a lot of different, you know, almost everybody that comes in obviously has a different story. Like you said, is at a different you know stage in the game. How do um, how do you guys kind of manage being able to to support these different people in different aspects of their basketball career? Just having the experiences. Um, it's basketball. It's not rocket science. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's just having the experience. I've played basketball my entire life. So it's seamless to me whether a child has um, has good athleticism and is 6'5 as an eight-year-old, and so they're blessed, or if, you know, they're 5'5 five, five as a senior and probably didn't play JV. I have one of my prize kids now. Um, he never played varsity basketball. I've been training him now for about almost two and a half, three years. He never played high school basketball. But around here, people know who he is. And so that's what I do is I kind of pride myself on, you know, finding those people who have a love for the game. Like you, D. Rita, you had a love for the game at the time. That's very so, I true. I mean, it's finding those people who have a love for the game and, and have a passion for it and want to get better. That's, that's who I, that's that's awesome. I love. That's awesome. Yeah, that that definitely, I feel like when they're, and I'm sure you could probably attest to this too, when they do, when they have that want to get better and they have a love for it, it's definitely, uh, they're probably more receptive and it's a lot easier to get whatever you're trying to get to them across. You know, it's way easier to get those messages through. Curtis Rankins says in the live chat, when are you going to train him? The Rankins. <laughs> We've been in context. He been, he been, he been, uh, MIA missing an action. He told oh, okay. me he was going to come through a couple weeks ago with a couple of female hoopers. So I mean, we got to tell him we're going to touch base this week, though. Okay, good. You don't see Curtis. Now you got to expose yourself on my show. Curtis is on next no. week. Now he got me nervous that he's not yeah. going to show. I'm gonna have to call in. On him. <laughs> I'm gonna have to call in on him. We yeah, we can't we can't be having that, Curtis. You got to show up. Pull up to the gym. Um, now you mentioned that you you've uh, been playing basketball your whole life. How early did you get into hooping? To be honest, nowadays, the youth go into basketball with a reason for it. I just enjoy playing. So I grew up close to a basketball court. That's what we did. So when we wanted to have fun, everybody went to the park. We played basketball. So I kind of just grew up playing it. It was fun. Um, then I realized as I got older, some of the opportunities that could be or the doors that could be opened. Um, and I mean, I kind of just stuck with it from there. Um, I wish I had a better story about it, but to be honest, it was it was that I just enjoyed having fun with it. That's how I kind of. Wow, yeah, know? that that's that is very simple. That's that's very straightforward. But I mean, that's what I feel like. That's probably the beauty of it too. Is just something you enjoyed doing. So it was like always, regardless of what you got going on in your life at the time, you can always kind of rely on that thing to be that enjoyable thing. Exactly. That's the therapy. I I've definitely felt that before. Um, you know there. You go through difficult patches in life, and I think the one constant, that's something that's hurt me a lot in this this uh, whole pandemic thing is not, I don't really have access to hooping. Like, I've, I've gotten to go outside a couple of times and play, but I, even when I stop playing. You make playing, that trick an hour and a half, D-Reader. We got a gym waiting on you. I, I'm going to have to come through. I, I want to touch up my skills because I, I was, I was 
very much a different, like a an advanced version of who I was when you when I left you when we didn't get to see each other anymore. I kind of progressed, and I don't want you to see me in a regressive <laughs> state. I got to get back to my former glory before I do. come there. We we help you along that way, so you come with you're in good hands. That's fair. I guess I should I should look at it that way to get back. I, I picked up boxing a little bit right now, so because it's a little bit oh, more. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's it's a lot of fun doing that too. But um, so. When did you, you said like, obviously you just started playing for fun. When did it like really become serious for you? When did you, when were you like, okay, I can, I can make some things shake. I, I can maybe play in the NCAA. Um, to be honest, well, my senior, my freshman year of high school, there was four of us, there was five of us that had the opportunity to play freshman, um, play varsity as freshmen. And so I think that's where I started to, Develop the competition and and the vision to see what was past just high school sports, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it really hit me until like my junior year, and then I think something clicked my junior year where it was like um, you can get a free scholarship out of this, um, you can get other opportunities out of this, you could possibly make some money doing this. Um, that's what I saw, and so yeah. I tried to. That's where I tried to get to. That so makes I, a lot of I, sense. Yeah. Did you have did you have a mentor? Did you have somebody that like pushed you? Were you like a very talented, or were you somebody that maybe the game kind of didn't come as easy to? Um, what I would like to say is everybody the the term now that the young people use is out of the mud. I want I would like to say I got it out of the mud, but to be honest with you, along the way you're always gonna need a couple of people. Um, I had a couple of gentlemen along the way that took time out, um, and they would never get the recognition. Uh, probably not watching this. Curtis Bell. Um, I'm from Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. So that's one. Um, but there wasn't when the, when I was coming up, there wasn't a lot of uh, playing college basketball wasn't as much of a dream as it was now. You didn't find that many people that had done it. Before. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't really have any mentors or people that came before me that could kind of direct me on my path. My my pops is five five, all of five five. Oh wow, maybe 150 pounds. He didn't play basketball. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't much that he taught us from that level, although he did coach us. There wasn't much that he could teach us from that playing. Um, I just love the game. I'm talking about to the point where, like, when I was young, I would listen to the games on replay on my headphones. And then we're talking about back in the day when you got the set tapes. I would Oh, man, games. you were listening to it. Yes, I would record That's the crazy. game off the 8-track, listening to the speaker of the television, and then I would replay it. Uh, speakers while I would do my chores in the house. I just, I just, that was just something I did. So I always was listening to basketball. Yeah. Watching it. So. Wow. So when did you like, was, was your dad your coach in high school too then or no? Up until ninth grade he was. Okay. So when, when you like transitioned in high school and you know, your junior year, when you started to take things a little bit more seriously, did, um, did your coach notice like, okay, Jamal's, Jamal's nice. I gotta, we gotta make something happen. coach wasn't my fan. No, really. <laughs> my really? coach wasn't a fan of mine. Um, taught me a lot. I, I, I give him respect for that. He taught me a lot about what things not to do, what things to do. Um, my father always said you can learn a lot from a dummy. Not calling the coach a dummy. <laughs> you can learn a lot from a dummy. And yeah. so um, I learned a lot from him. Um, but he wasn't a fan of mine. Um, once again, that's why I, I kind of say I got it from the mud. Despite what the coach did or what he tried to do or attempted to do, I was still able to – he didn't stop my recruiting. He hampered my recruiting along the way. 
didn't stop my review. So, wow. I mean, um, but he wasn't a fan of mine. So was uh, it that, was it tough getting? Because I don't know. I know from. I mean, I'm sure you know when I was you know going through high school and then you know college. Obviously, this is very recent, so it's probably it was a little bit different. What was like the process of once you were considering? Okay, I can maybe get a scholarship out of this. How how does one um, affect your chances of that? How how can a coach was he not playing you? Was he uh, pulling you out in crucial moments of games? So this is. Aging myself, thirty plus years ago, I almost want to say. Um, so it wasn't we didn't. This was before social media, right? Mm-hmm. So when a coach saw us play, the way they would get in touch with us is through our coach, mm. and our coach could affect our recruiting by what he had to say to us, or if he even brought that information to us to let us know this school asked about you. I was gonna so say, I had yeah. many situations like that, where a school after the fact would be like, "Yeah, we." sent you a letter or we we tried to talk to you and i never knew it because my coach never brought it to me or, or my coach never said never talked to me about it wow that is that is ridiculously sideways that's that's bad that is awful you learn though yeah i guess it's the adversity um my whole life everybody has their ups and downs and their stories um i've used my adversity i'm gonna learn from my adversity i'm never gonna allow it to affect me um detrimentally right so for me i've always kind of take, taken it in stride with the idea that i got to learn something from it and so like when he started doing that all of my other teammates played at that time once again we're talking about 30 years ago they played on what's called select teams these teams would be selected kids from all of iowa and mm-hmm. there would be maybe 12 to 15 of them and then they would go play different states and get exposure for college basketball I was never on any of those teams. I found my outlet by going to exposure camps by myself individually. Oh, and, wow. And by going individually to these camps, I began to get my exposure and my recruiting. So my recruiting never came through the coach. My recruiting never came necessarily from the school. My recruiting came from the fact of I would go spend 200 bucks to play in these camps throughout the Midwest during the summertime. Wow. For me. That's Von Coleman Future Stars camps. Wow, that's How crazy. I, I uh that's wild. I know I I actually ended up going to I forget the camp that there was a camp that um you were kind of suggesting that that like the team go to when I was a freshman. I can't remember where it was. It was at this NA NAIA NAIA showcase in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. And um and I went there with with Tim and and I, I don't know, like for you, I'm sure the camps obviously had, had more things going on for us. It was like the guys that were there were a joke. Like there was like three dudes that could hoop. And then these other dudes that were just jacking threes, the whole, the whole, uh, when we got done with all the drills and we got into the scrimmages where the recruiters straight up just told the people running the camp, don't let them shoot threes anymore. So none of us were allowed to shoot threes anymore for the last half hour. And I was pissed. I was like, dude. I'm 5'10", and that's what I that's do. I was like, wait, I can't do that now because these guys are scrubs. So it was it was a bit of an experience for me. But I, I always wondered because when I had gotten in touch with some other coaches, they had recommended camps like that. So obviously they did work, and in your case, it did. So Yeah, it worked for me. And that's the thing about even basketball now. There's different – You there's way more outlets and ways to get to where you're trying to go now than there was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and – that's why I try to tell the kids, keep your options open. I think I used to tell you guys this. It's not about 
if you do it. It's, it's not about when you do it. It's if you do it. Yeah. Um, take your time. Make the right decisions for yourself. Try to put yourself in good situations, and then let the let the rest just shake out. Yeah. Do or false. As long, yeah, if you're if you're in it for the long game, it's you know it's gonna happen for you. It might happen for somebody else quicker, but yeah. and it is. It's just like life at a lot of things. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I think we were we were talking about that. Um, you know, just before we went on on the air, how much, how many things you can learn from from the game of basketball. Um, what you now you've gotten like the luxury of of playing and coaching. So what what's something? <laughs> And we'll get into the coaching in a second, but I guess what's something you learned as a player um, that kind of kind of transitioned into life? Um, besides that, I like being a player more than a coach. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, um, too. But to be honest with you, I take a lot of things from my playing days with me into my life now. Uh, kind of like when we had this conversation before we came on here, um, just going through different things in your life, you can you know, compare them to situations you've been in on the court or through basketball and not saying that they prepare you, but they do prepare you. So, I mean, it's not like you're blindsided by something. Yeah. They kind of provide you with examples almost like for, I know for myself, it, um, even, you know, in the year that that you were there when I was a captain and then the, the next year, um, it was, there were a lot of times where I, I would be frustrated with um, maybe an individual or a couple of people. And like, even if it's like a work ethic thing, right. And you, you, sometimes you just want to tear somebody's head off and scream at them, but you, that, that's not going to work for that guy. You know, they're not going to respond well to that. And then you got to think like, how would you want to be talked to in, in that moment when you know you're fucking up? And like, like those are things that like, okay, you think this guy is just freaking out on a basketball court. But like, <laughs> if you're, if you're working at, um, I don't even if you're working in an office and somebody's not getting with their reports on time or whatever, you want to freak out, yell at them the same way. You got to know how to talk to people. You got to know how to work in it as a team in life. And so I think there's a lot of things you can take away from basketball. Hit the nail on. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it, it. That's yeah. That's that's what I for it. Is, that's what it is for me at least. So that's that's how I see it. And when this is now, I want to get into your coaching. When did you decide? Um, because you played, like we said, you played NCAA ball. How, how many years did you play NCAA ball? All right, so I took the, the scenic route. So I originally started out at a school called, at the school called UTSA. I played for a, a year there. I got homesick, so I, re, I transferred to a school called Drake University, which is in Des Moines, Iowa, which is where I was from. Okay. During my sophomore year there, they had a coaching change. And so I ended up having to play for my position they uh, brought in a coach that wasn't um, running the same style that the, the previous coach. The previous coach was the one that recruited. So when oh, okay. he left, it kind of left me with this new coach. And yeah. the new coach didn't take a liking to me. Um, so I ended up transferring to a Division One Juco in Kansas. I played for a year there. Um, then I had a child and then began my basketball vagabond. I became a, a basketball nomad, I played for money. I uh, played uh, semi-pro, um, tried out for some pro teams. I had a little stint overseas. Um, oh my goodness, you played tried, everywhere. I tried to, yeah, tried to try to do what I could with the talent that I had. So that's that's kind of what I, how the playing kind of turns into the coaching. Um, was it's almost like what you said. It's I'm not in a race against other people. I'm in a race against myself. I was trying to get the most out of my potential that I. Then mm-hmm. once I felt like I got the most out of my potential, 
it got to a situation where I was like, what's next? What do I do now? I can't play basketball forever. And I didn't want to coach. I didn't necessarily really? like the <laughs> egos. And I know I'm difficult to get along with. Why am I going to want to do that with kids? That would yeah. be crazy. And right? you had, and you had a couple bad instances with coaches, so I'm sure that had to scare you a little bit too. That too, like coaches are assholes, for lack of a better term. And I'm not an asshole, so it was like I could never be a coach. But I didn't mind teaching the game, right? And so um, my wife is in the military. We moved around a lot. I played on a lot of uh, military base teams, um, but we were living in San Diego, and I had an opportunity to coach a team. And then the coach that ran the entire program left. And so once he left, he kind of left the kids there um, kind of high and dry. So I made a negotiation with the director at that time that I would take the team over for the time being until she found someone that would take over because I didn't want to coach. Yeah. And that turned into my own program. Four years later, I had a program with about 50, 60 kids in San Diego. and like I did with you guys, the most important thing to me about basketball is the experiences and the opportunities. And so what that made me realize by being in San Diego, we played against the likes of the Ball Brothers. Uh, our team played against uh, Lonzo Ball. Uh, they played against DeAndre Ayton, the number one, wow. the number one pick, plays for the Sun. How was playing against those guys before you? Um, it's cool. It's you. you Take the fandom out of it. I was never a fan because they were always always kids to me. But like even now, it's cool that when I see them, they acknowledge me. Like it's not a situation where they, you know what I'm saying? It's like kids that you actually see growing up on the way up and they can remember you. And so seeing those kids at that young of an age and they were they were set for starting then, just being able to kind of see that is was cool. It was it gives another side of basketball, right? So um that opened my eyes up to the experiences that basketball offered. And so when we moved back to Wisconsin, <laughs> my <laughs> idea was to, uh, you know, to, just to find something to keep with basketball. And so I ended up getting a job. I actually worked at, uh, for a hot second, a cup of tea at, uh, what was that? What's the school in West Bend? West Bend. Um... Um, we played, they in, the, they in the conference. I can't think of the It's a right UW now. school? It's a little yeah. UW school? Okay. Yeah, the red school. We played them. Uh, we had a couple of hotly contested games against them. They had some talent back then. Was it, um, who was the one? German, not Germantown. There was, there was um, I know there's like Marinette, and then there's the other one that, I know, Tyus, Tyus is in the chat. Tyus, let me know what it was. I can't remember. Things like UW West Bend, maybe, or something like that. But I coached mm-hmm. there for like half a season. And then okay. I ended up getting a job at uh, Fox Valley Tech in Appleton. Was it UW Washington? There it is. Washington. Okay. UW Washington. There you go. Shout out to the chat. Shout out to the chat. They they pulled UW out. Washington. So I coached. I had a hot cup of tea there. Probably coached half a season there as an assistant coach. Um, but then I was offered a job at Fox Valley Tech in Appleton. And then okay. I ended up taking the men's and the women's job. They offered me both. How does how does juggling two programs work like that? When you love what you do, as you as you know now, when you do yeah. what you love, you make it work. So, and I lived in Madison, so that means I was commuting that whole time. So I would drive that hour and forty five minutes every day for practice, and I would just knock out two practices. So it actually worked out pretty good. Oh man, yeah, that's I, that's that's a lot though. Doing two, you know, back to back. Like, was it back to back practices then? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's crazy. 
was I now I asked this to uh D Harp. He was on he was on the show a while back and he he's, he's done some coaching of, of younger kids and girls and boys and I asked him uh actually worked with me in the I, I threw a camp one time down here in Stoughton, Wisconsin, and he came and worked with me. Oh really? Yep. Yep. That's that's cool. That's really cool. He was so when he was on the show, we were talking about uh, his coaching and whatnot, and he said that I, if I, I'm going to be paraphrasing here, but he said that uh, girls will listen a lot more than his guys will, and he 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 was coaching like eighth grade, ninth grade boys versus like mm-hmm. sixth, seventh, eighth grade girls, and and the girls were much more receptive to his teachings. And he is entirely correct, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't disagree being on the other side of that. So they don't. But see, this is the thing. Kids, men, yes, us young men can get away with athleticism. But mm-hmm. we instead of necessarily maybe learning the IQ or learning the X's and the O's, we'll rely on our athleticism. Uh, females, young women actually do what you ask them to do. And then they can see and comprehend that this is why you're doing it. And so they were able to put it into into play a lot sooner than boys that, um, that makes sense that makes sense well, i mean it's true <laughs> in that concept there's there's a reason why there's a there's yeah a reason why but yeah that makes sense um so you're how does how does like even getting different like coaching jobs are you like applying for these jobs is it um people like kind of just like seeing your work and being like okay i know that name let's see if maybe we can take an interview with him in both of the positions i applied okay um, got the interview and then from there like when I applied for the job in Appleton at Fox Valley Tech um they were going through a transition period and so when I took over the men's job they had a women's coach and then they had some issues and the or excuse me it's the other way around I took the women's job originally oh okay and so then the men's job opened up and I had ran some of the men's open gyms because they didn't have a coach and so because I had ran some of the men's open gyms uh, so the men's or some of the kids on the team went to the athletic director and was like, we, we like him to coach us as well. Wow. That's turn that down. Yeah. That's, that's but, nice. They're advocating I mean, for so you. I'm not going to say I was asked to, but it was kind of like offered like mm-hmm. take over the men's as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. That's a neat opportunity. So how did you, how did you, how long were you there? How long were you there? I was there for only a year. Okay. And then, there. and then you were over at, you got, to you rock right came to rock okay so how how long so i get this timeline right how long were you at you rock before i showed up at you rock a year okay a year so that, that was, was that was your second year when and i see showed that up. now and this is the part where we got to remember about our team i didn't recruit they had hired me so late in the i wasn't the first choice so i was okay. hired so late in the recruiting process that i wasn't able to recruit my first year and to okay. be honest that so that first year leading into the second the upcoming cycle would have been my first cycle with recruiting players I wanted, right? I was able to get some of you guys. Uh, you fell in my lap, D. Rita. Um, yeah, I was I, able to get. I'll, I'll able tell to get that some story. Other players. <laughs> yeah, so it. I know um, that I wanted to get into that too a little bit. Um, oh, FY. So the chatter that threw out the UW Washington that was Grant. Grant's in the chat. How are you, Grant? Grant? Tell my son what's up. I still have mad respect for Grant McNaw, man. We um, we actually still touch base from time to time. Tell him I said what's up. I, he could he could hear you. He'll he'll probably shoot me a message here in the comments. But um, that's you know it's funny that you say that. I always wondered. I know you had been talking and with some guys from Madison. You know some some different players and hoopers and whatnot that you had kind of known from the Madison area. 
because I know some of them were were there when I was uh, trying out and whatnot, coming to open gyms. For me, I didn't even know, and I've I've said this a couple of times on the show. I didn't even know if UW Rock County was a real school when, like, I had asked people because I when I I did I got benched in high school. I didn't really get it. I like did my own thing and I was training on the side. I had a bunch of other guys that I would help train too on the weekends and whatnot. But, um, for whatever reason, uh, wasn't really given a whole lot of time to play. So I, I knew I didn't really have a chance playing anywhere, yeah. but I kind of wasn't ready to, uh, like just get on with my life, I guess yet. So I was like, oh, damn, right. yeah. And everybody was like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go, where are you going to college? And everyone's putting all this pressure on you. And I, um, I was going to go to this little tech school, like, 40 minutes away from my house um and it, it get uw gate or not gateway it's not uw it's just gateway technical college and so i was just going to get like a little tech degree i did a lot of tech ed in in high school and whatnot and then um uh tim and i were in a study hall we were bored and we were kind of going through options and we saw this thing uw rock county and i was like oh shit they have a basketball team <laughs> i was like i've never even heard like i don't even know if they exist so like i feel like there's not a lot of people going there. Like, why don't we try? And, but then we would like ask people if they'd ever heard like of the school or when we would bring it up, people would be like, where the fuck is that? Like, I'm like James, but like people knew Janesville and they knew of Janesville, but nobody knew that there was a college there. And there's two, there's two colleges. And you would never know that. I didn't know. I didn't know you rock was there before I, I applied. I, it's kind of hidden right there on like a little, I mean, it's like on the edge of Janesville and whatnot. And it, um, and yeah, we, I didn't know it was, I still had it. I remember I messaged the athletic director. I messaged Grant. Um, and I was like, Hey, can I get in contact with your coach? And he just like sent me your email right away. And then you sent me when the first open gyms were. And then, then I showed up and then the rest, you know, it worked out. Yeah. 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 What, um, how was like getting, getting the job at UROG? What was the process? Like, did they come to you or did you apply to that one too? Nope. I applied for that one. I wanted to get closer to home. I'm gonna be honest. So like, um, Appleton was an hour forty. The way I saw it, U Rock was about forty minutes. I cut down my commute by an hour. Winning. So I applied for U Rock. Once again, I wasn't the first choice. You uh, mm-hmm. and so, um, but I I was offered the position. I humbly accepted it, um, and it was kind of simply. It was kind of that easy. Um, I met with Grant. Uh, me and Grant had a good interview. Um, obviously, he saw something in me. Offer me the position and uh we went went. crazy crazy so what when you kind of like become the when you take over like the head of a program like that like what is i mean obviously you know we're talking you rock we're not working with a ball and budget or anything (laughs) like that but what is like what do you do or what are your first steps like when you get the keys to the kingdom like what are what's kind of what are you trying to do and implement i know you couldn't really recruit the first year yeah it's not unlike running an aau program or running your own program First thing you want to do is set a culture so that, you know, people that come into the program or who come under and want to play with you kind of understand what it entails, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to put good people around you, uh, responsible people around you. And I was blessed enough that that first season at UROC, although they weren't kids that I, were able to, that I was able to recruit, they were a good set of kids. They worked hard. We did the best with what we had. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we 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 know what the the facilities were like and and what that that seat that uh conference is kind of like. So I mean, we did the best of what we had. Yeah. Um, but then to be able to recruit 
the fun part was to be able to start to put together the pieces to recruit for that second, third, and fourth seasons, hopefully, right? Yeah. And, and start to put together not only that culture, but that um, just that that consistent winning feeling that comes with having a, a good culture. Yeah. Um, but part of having a good culture also is having that having that family aspect. So one of the things that I wanted to do was like when kids came into the program was know that um, when they came into the program, they were going to be a part of something a little bit different than what they had out there. Like you come into not only a team, you come into a family, you come into friends, you're going to meet people, you're going to be around people that you're going to know possibly for the rest of your life. I, I, I got to say, I think you succeeded is that, I mean, I've had, uh, you definitely succeeded at that. Cause I've had countless, probably the whole fucking team on at this point on my show at this point. And we've all hung out and hooped for after yeah. I've had some of them, uh, you know, Curtis who's going to be on next week, lived with me yeah. basically for several months. And, um, and it's a diverse bunch. And see, that's the thing that I prided myself on is like, we, our team, the season that we had, um, that team ran the gamut as far as diversity. We had almost people of all walks of life, whether they were homeschool Christian kids, oh, yeah. uh, from the hood, like Ed Laird. Yeah, <laughs> shout yeah. out Ed Laird. I don't know where he's at anymore. Um, but I mean, we were able to mesh all those people together, and you guys were able to work together, be a team, be a family, root for each other, and that's the beauty of having a team, right? So yeah. That, those are the 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 benefits that often outshine the winning and the wins and losses. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's just, it's kind of a, another beauty of the of the game where I think you can kind of let let other things go and everybody can just enjoy it and be there for each other. And the, the friendships you do make when you're going through shit, I mean, just like the, the fact that we got to take these buses, you know, seven hour rides with these people, like how can you, you have to like these people, you know, like you have to love each other or else you're going to be miserable. And so I think um, we definitely, definitely did that all and the time. And we don't get on each other's nerves because we in the, we, we taking those seven hour bus trips and we have a long season, but that's what family does. You don't exactly. get on each other's nerves, but at the end of the day, um, I might get on your nerves and you might get on my nerves, but the, the, anybody outside of this family, they don't get that option, right? So yeah, step step in for them when that time comes up. So yeah, that was always my feeling. That may, that yeah, I agree with that. Um, now we're gonna get into the U Rock stuff here to, in a second, but I want to know when. Obviously, I know how I know how I looked a couple of years ago when we first met, and uh, like just like physical build wise, and I know I gained some weight after that year, but. Uh, I know how I looked. I know how tall I was. I know, I know what I came in wearing. I know, I know uh, the color of my skin. So like, I know. I, I'm curious as to what you thought when Tim and I, these two scrawny little white boys, showed up. Because I, I've told the story a million times on this show. Like it was, we didn't even get picked when we when we <laughs> ran that first day. We didn't get picked to play. And then when we got on the court, we didn't lose. And so, yep. like, it was. Yep. I, I was curious as to what you thought because I obviously you didn't recruit. You had other guys in mind and mm -hmm. and whatnot. So I was curious as to what you thought about that. Be honest, those are the type of um, student athletes that I love. Um, under um, what do they call them, the the underdogs, right? Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, we were trying to bring in hoopers that could that could go. And to be first of all, you guys weren't intimidated. That's the first and most important thing. There was no signs of intimidation. The second thing that goes into it is that you guys came to play. So you weren't caring about who was in front of you. 
you had one objective and that was what y'all's objective was. The third thing was y'all y'all were so cool. Like the y'all were so cool that, and that's the type of coolness that you want on the basketball team because you got to have a good mix of people who are serious serious about basketball, but then you got to have a mix of people who um understand what their abilities are, are getting the most out of their abilities and they're having fun along the way. Mm -hmm. They're just there for the ride, right? And so with me, especially with you two, because um, I saw you two, I met you two together, so I always kind of see that as Tim and D. Reed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys play well together. You would set him up, he shoot him. He knock him down. You set him up, he knock him down. Now, along the way, D. Reed developed into a scorer, and I, I didn't see happening. Yeah. I didn't see that happening. Yeah. But, um, so when I first saw y'all, to be honest, after y'all started, we had a good time with it too. When mm -hmm. y'all started winning, it it lightened the mood in that gym because it was like, one, y'all just ain't gonna walk into the gym and, and, and beat these kids. But there was two, a lot of testosterone for sure, it, yeah. Exactly, it, it was, I, the way I see it, it was healthy testosterone. It was right? fun, it was fun. It, I, exactly. I remember, exactly. it was, it, you're right though, it was very, very tense because I remember we did a workout, full workout first and then everybody got the hoop and then it was like the, three because Derek also didn't get picked uh and it was like the three sad little white boys on the side like watching everybody play and then we got on the court and I remember it was like the I think it was like a couple games in when we hadn't lost yet and then I think Tim had just swatted somebody out of nowhere and then like I had pump fake G and he went flying and you stopped the game and this is I don't really know you that well and you stopped the game I thought I was in trouble I thought I traveled and you stopped the game you came out you're like you're like What's your name again? I was like, Darren. You're like, Darren, that's what I'm talking about. You just like dabbed me <laughs> up. And G was so mad. And it was, uh, but he was laughing and we were all like jokingly mad at each other. And it was fun. And from there on, it was, you know, it was a blast. So, yeah. I remember, I remember all those good times and the things that, um, like you, to go back to your original question, what did I think of you and Tim? Like I said, you are the type of, I could see past the limitations and I saw what you could offer. Same thing with Tim. And so that was my thing is those are the type of people that you have to have on your team. I, yeah, I appreciate that. That, you know, that means a lot. I thought, uh, I, I figured, you know, like I said, I just, I know the optics of it. And I, I definitely joke about that all the time. I know, I know how it looks. You talking about D Bieber? Yeah. He, um, Hey, tell him I said what's up too. He, yeah, he's doing good. We, he played the next year too. And he, he got a lot better. He's, he's been working. He's been working out too. He's, he's getting swole now. He's probably. Oh, tell him I said what's up. I definitely will next time I see him. So I want to, so, you know, you mentioned winning like a culture and whatnot and like a brotherhood and keeping people to, together and look out for one another. Um, and obviously as the season went on and it being your first like year where you, you did recruit some guys, I know some guys ended up not working out and we ended up playing them. They played for other teams later down the season. Um, yeah. One of them did not like me because I took his spot. So he, he sent some mean shit to me. Who's that? Sean. You remember Sean? I'm not oh, gonna name a last Sean name. Later. Oh, he did go to like Baraboo or something. Didn't the he? next year, I think, or it was like after after you had left, we played him, and he was very uh. upset. He was very <laughs> upset because he would tell me every day before tryouts were like official. He was like, "Man, you're gonna be a great relief point guard. You're gonna be great, whatever." And I just kept like, "Yeah, man, all right, we'll see." And like he would talk mad shit to me. So then when it had when he didn't get that spot, he he bounced. So. Um, about to say the the what happens the proof comes out in the pudding yeah but he um 
so yeah, that stuff happens. And, and obviously you're, you know, building the culture and getting the guys that you did get in there. It, you know, it obviously worked because we were the best team in the league. We, until what well, we're going to get into in a minute, <laughs> we literally hadn't lost. Right. We were undefeated. And they was in trouble. And only a couple games were close, you know, like most games right. we were scrubbing these guys, which something my following year very much frustrated me because I knew who I was playing against. And, you know, so taking losses to these people that I was scrubbing was very upsetting for me. But um, and we yeah. hadn't even gelled as a team yet. Like y'all weren't even we had just came off like almost a month and a half layoff. Like, yeah. And I didn't feel I still like with the guys I felt comfortable, but like when you know full court pressing and the whole game and having to to guard some of the better players on other teams and whatnot every game like i i felt like i wasn't my full self yet and i was playing all right and every, all the guys were playing like out of their minds and i felt like nobody was really 100 percent comfortable on the court yet oh. and so that i think that that says a lot too about the culture you were building but obviously we're, we were kind of building up to this this moment so um I've laid it out a couple times on the show, and I, I'd like to hear your perspective. We were, I forget how many wins and oh, and then we go to play UW-Waukesha like halfway through the season. Um, and then I, I kind of just want, I want to hear your, your story on kind of events that unfolded that night. Because I've, I've described it as being like a movie, and then I've, you know, I described the whole foul situation that led into some verbiage being used by uh, uh, someone else in power. And then obviously the other events that happened. So, right. Um, first and foremost, the situation in you uh, Waukesha should have never happened. Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem ever owning up to my responsibilities in an issue or in a situation. Um, but at the same token, um, I don't back down, and, and that's one thing I always take to my grave. So. The situation in Waukesha kind of shook out from the very beginning. Um, we might as well just get into the whole story. Yeah, but Waukesha. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I want to hear what, what your perspective because I've laid it out like every step of the way, and I and I'm sure you'll detail it in a second. But I've laid it out from an. I had an interesting point of view because we were blowing this team out to start this game, and I, so I was sitting right behind you when events ended up transpiring. So I, I was there to witness it as well. So I kind of want to hear your perspective on it. So that was my thing, too, was like we were, once again, like you said, we came into the game being one of the best teams in the conference, undefeated. Waukesha had won the conference the year before. They weren't nearly as good as we were. Mm -hmm. They knew that. And we took care of them the first 10 minutes, 12 minutes of the game like we were supposed to. Um, but then some situations began to occur. I still remember it like it was yesterday. Shout out Ben, ben McDonald. I, yeah. Um, yep. But Ben had, uh, the referee was out of position. Ben had attempted to block a shot. After the referee called the foul from the opposite end or the opposite side of the court, Ben, as you and me both know, competitive, but he's a good guy. All he yeah. said to the referee was, oh, I almost got that. The referee took that as being, I guess, somewhat confrontational. So then Ben walks across the other side of the court opposite of the referee and he's talking to me um he puts his head down to cuss and when he puts his head down to cuss the referee gives him a technical because he said that ben cussed at him well he told the when the referee goes to tell the bench or excuse me goes to tell the tape scores table he's supposed to technically 
he's supposed to come tell the uh, coach, this is why I'm giving that player the tech. Yeah. Well, he totally ignored me. So when I asked him what he was giving him the technical for, he just ignored me, like walked past me like there was no respect. So my thing was, you kind of have to explain to me, I've done this. So I don't, although I look young, I've, I've been coaching and played at the highest levels for years. I know what you can and cannot get away with. You have mm-hmm. to kind of explain to me what my players did wrong to automatically. And we got to remember, Ben had just checked in the game. He had probably been in the game maybe all of two minutes. Yeah. Um, so you kind of got to explain that. He didn't give him a warning. You kind of explained to me what he did wrong. And it snowballed from there. Um, I, I guess I upset him by asking him to tell me why he gave him the technical. So he said, do you think I got to come talk to you? And I told him, yeah, you do got to come talk to me. And you're going to come talk to me with some kind of respect. Mm-hmm. And he rushed over to me. It was about a, maybe about a foot away from my face, breathing all hard, um, mad, and was like, get back in your box. And then he used a, I took it as a derogatory slur. Get back in your box. And then he pointed to the box. Um, I, did a, I did an exemplary job of holding my composure. I mean, yeah, he was throwing the word boy around in there multiple times and that's what i've 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 been on record of saying like retelling the story just about exactly the same as you've retelled it so far so yeah you're not wrong it it was it was absurd and the only reason i know is because i was literally sitting behind you because we were busting them so bad that you had just pulled jake myself and the rest of the starters right and And so so that was my thing i grew once again um i'm a black male from iowa i've been dealing with racism my entire life um Sports is no place for racism. And so when he did that, I kept my composure. I think at halftime, when we went into halftime, I kind of told you guys, I don't know if we want to keep playing. And then you kind of got, you guys are kind of like, we've been, we haven't played since Christmas. I think this was January. Mm-hmm. We hadn't played for like a month, a month and a half. So we were like, let's go back out and finish this game. Well, I went back out with the purpose of, let me find out who this referee, what the referee's name is so that, after this game, I could take it to the commissioner and we can talk about why you this know. occurred. Yeah. Well, Waukesha has a booster, and this is the part that we didn't want to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the programs, Waukesha had a booster club. No other pro. well, there's some other programs, but a majority of the programs in that conference did not have a booster club, which means that they got extra money from fundraising and doing other things that went back into their program. Yeah. One of the things that we have is a budget. And so each team had a budget. Our budget wasn't, wasn't much. And yeah. with that budget, you have to purchase basketballs, uniforms. Uh, and then you have, to, you have to have a statistics program. The statistics program is what keeps your statistics as well as it keeps the information of referees and whatnot. So at halftime, when I went to go get the statistics sheet, they told me they didn't have one. Waukesha chose not to use a statistics sheet. But if we remember, every player on Waukesha's basketball team had Nikes. They all had team Nikes. Yeah. So one of the things that the program or the athletic director or the coach gets to decide is how that budget is used, used in, and utilized. Yeah. They chose the skirt and use the funds for something else rather than get a statistics program, which means I can't get the referee's name. Right? Yeah. So wow. the game starts in the second half. He continues to ref the way he refs. And again, as the game ends, um, I simply asked him for his name. I just I said, well, what's your name? And he ignored me like he had done mm-hmm. initially. And so I asked him again. 
And he told me, why don't I just go home? And then he walked out. Now, I did the... the I'll say this, too, before you get into the rest. He didn't just walk out. The three of them kind of booked it out of the yeah. gym. They kind of yeah. ran in a light jog, I should say, out of the gym and didn't shake hands with any of us. And see, I never... And that was the thing is, like, I'm the only one, I guess, who has the camera, the game film. After the game, you see me walk across the court to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And he's already started the light jog. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to talk to him. And so I never changed my my gait or my walk. I just followed him out the door. Now, that was my ish, my fault. As a basketball coach, we know better. But I followed him out the door because at this point, it was just like, I've, I've taken enough disrespect. I just need your name. And I'm, I'm done with it. And so when we went out the door, that was what I told him was like, I need your name. Not because I'm going to do anything else, but you'll never coach another U-Rock game again. There's one thing as a basketball coach I can do is we can um, request that certain referees not ref our games, right? So mm-hmm. my thing was, I'm not going to sit here and try to take money out your mouth, but you'll never ref another one of our games. I'm going to request that. And I think that's what got his goal. And so um, we're outside, right outside the, the uh, gym. And y'all know me. I, I pride myself on being cool. I even dress cool for the games. I don't, <laughs> I don't sweat, right? And yeah. so when we got out there, he was still a little um, boisterous and, and belligerent. And he stepped to me to tell me, why don't I go home again? And my son happened to be at the game. He was filming. So this is where messages and stories start to get diluted. It went from my son was a part of the basketball team and he was one of the guys that jumped on him. But my son just happened to be up there filming the game. He happened to come out when he saw the referee approach me. And when he saw the referee approach me, he didn't like the manner. And it did look, if you were outsider looking in, it did look like the referee was walking up on me. And I had I stepped back. I'm not going to lie to push him. But when I stepped back, I had on dress shoes. I began to fall backwards. And when I began to fall backwards, what you see is the referee come out, or my son comes out, he sees the referee kind of standing over me. And yeah. he did what his son's supposed to do. He protected his father. Yeah. Um, put him on his back. And so from there, what happened was I took my son off the top of the referee. But then as people are coming out the door, I'm standing over the top of the referee. And, and me and my son look very much alike. Yeah. And so the next thing I heard was a lady yelled out. He just punched the referee. Um, that story kind of escalated and it went from I punched the referee that we jumped on the referee. And really, in all honesty, the thing that happened was my son jumped on the referee, and in that fast, it was over with. Um, afterwards, and as y'all know, I kind of hung out. We we stayed for about a half an hour to talk to the police. They never came. And so eventually, I came and told y'all guys, we're going to go home. We had another hour hour and some change travel. Uh, and it was like a Wednesday. We had school the next day. So I was like, we're going to go home. We're going to head home, and they can talk to us later. And on the way home, the police called. I had to go back up to the next day and they booked me and they told me they were, they were totally indifferent to the boy um, remarks. They didn't, they didn't see any issue with that at all. Yeah. It's crazy to me. Walkershaw PD. I had to explain to them now, and this is all in 100% disclosure. My wife is white. Yeah. My wife was there with me and I had to explain to them, like when I told them how it transpired, they looked at me like, Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I had to explain to them, like, well, that type of language when you're talking to a man of color is 
it can be looked at as derogatory. They 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 didn't understand it at all. And so, um, you know, fast forward, um, me and my son actually had to go to court for it. I, I big respects to D. Rita, Ben McDonald, and Calvin Sounds. Um, they actually supported me while I was there. Um, but I actually had to go through a court case. I was on NBC. My my stuff made it to national news. They used um, they used a highlight of me hitting a three. I remember being about very say, sad only, about it. <laughs> we were seven and zero. Oh, we had one of the most diverse teams in the conference. We had great stories, and the only time we got on television ever was during that clip. Yeah, during that clip. Yeah. Um. So we went through the whole court process. Me and my son. They ended up. I ended up pleading out to a lesser charge. My son pled out to battery. My son ended up serving 44 days in jail and he had to pay the referee 5,000. I ended up serving 23 days in jail. And we had to, mine was half of that as well for as far as the restitution. Okay. So um, we, we, um, not to cut you out. We, we fast forward there a little bit. I want to kind of take that piece by piece where, so like, because this is what, from my understanding, I, I was always very confused as to why the police never showed up. And then we leave, and then I'm hearing that they took witness, like witness accounts and shit after we left, which right. I think heavily skews. And I've, I didn't know this about Waukesha. I, I learned a lot of things about Waukesha after the fact. And I have um, a, a friend of the show, uh, Raymond Roberts, is I believe he's from uh, Waukesha, and he, he's done some speaking over there on these kind of issues and whatnot. And I didn't know that about that area, that it was so, uh, for lack of a better term, openly okay with kind of that verbiage, you know, that being, you know, sort of belligerent, calling a a grown man of color a boy to his face and telling him to sit down. Like, I I don't know any other place where that's, that's, you know, acceptable. But so I I learned that after the fact, um, obviously. But so... Did they take, um, to your knowledge, did they take other people's like accounts after we yeah. left then? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They took the, they took the accounts. What they, uh, what they used to kind of get us was the account of the two referees. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a young woman. Uh, there was a young woman who said that she didn't see me throw a punch, but they took the advice or they took the, the testimony of the two referees. Wow. And, and, uh, and of course, the, the, the other referee. Now, this, so this too, where, again, I hear, you know, I get to just hear um, the stories because obviously we weren't really able to be in contact um, while this was going on. I heard that the referee had had an issue where he thought it was you or your son trying to get back on him and some lady had went to help him and he had actually hurt some other lady. I don't know if that was true or not. So... And this is the other part is that at the time, people find things so hard to believe. So like, even when I told the policeman about him calling me boy, it seemed like he just, it couldn't. Couldn't comprehend it. Yeah, it couldn't yeah. be believed. Um, when we went out there and as the situation was happening, um, the referee, he was on the ground. I mean, and I, I pull no, no shorts when I say this. He was on the ground, but people were coming out to help him. I had pulled my son off. People were coming out to help him. And he started swinging at he started punching people like just random wow. people. Right. Yeah. And the people that came out to help him actually happened to be other people of color, but he was punching them. Wow. He never got their t- They never got their stories and never talked to them. 
Uh, wow. But I mean, it kind of goes to back to, I didn't know about walk. So, and you know this, I, I moved to Wisconsin you know, a couple of years before that you rock. So I wasn't familiar with the area. The only areas where I've ever picked up and I drove to the games. Mm-hmm. Um, the only areas that where I ever had any type of issues were stops for speeding or yeah. something like that was, um, Sheboygan. We had our issue in Sheboygan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Waukesha. And then it's called that Toma lacrosse corridor. Yeah. And what I found out from being here now is that those areas are some of the most racially depressed places in Wisconsin. Right. And yeah. So I remember playing I in Sheboygan. Each one of those. Well, Sheboygan, they, that was the, if I it's remember been. correctly, they were calling us thugs and like screaming off the, screaming us off the court, like following us to our locker room, calling us thugs. And they have a policeman coming. Yeah. And, escort us out right yeah and this is you know what blows my mind too is that all this is going on at uh wcc basketball that's what it was called right it was, it was like the wcc or some shit yes. like some not even like there is ncaa division one two and three then you have uh njcaa I think yeah. one, two, and three. And then you have NAIA, and then you have <laughs> WCC. That's where how far down on the totem pole we are, and this shit is going on. Remember when I, I had that? I showed you guys. You did. I remember. On that totem pole. Yeah. And I was like, this is where, we, I mean, we're at the lowest of the low. So it's like, at that level, the whole idea, and this was my biggest thing about the referee. At that level, the whole idea should be to have fun and to teach kids about basketball. Continue mm-hmm. to teach them. So instead of coming to Ben, who Ben was a grown man, Instead of coming to Ben like a grown man and telling him what he might have did wrong on that play, instead you baited him and gave him a technical. We're not trying to get these kids better. You're like trying to enforce punishment on a player, and that's not what we're here for. We're here to help these kids. So that was my biggest beef with the referee, but outside of the derogatory slur, it was like, you're not here for the kids. You're just just here to get your paycheck. And yeah. That's not that's not fair to that's not fair to y'all. You know what I'm saying? And it's um, not worth it too to be a fucking WC. It's it's not worth the money, you know, to be a WCC ref if you're just doing it for the money. Like it's not worth it. Yeah. And then the thing was is I don't think he was he wasn't a good ref. So I mean I'm gonna keep it all hundred. He yeah. wasn't a good ref. He was out of position when he made the call. Yeah. So I mean from the beginning, and I've had other refs now look at the game and they were like he was atrocious. Yeah. Well, and the pr- like, prior to no that, thing. this is the part that um that I've mentioned multiple times when I've already told the story is that we were beating this team by like 18, 20 points or something like that. And then, you know, the starters get pulled out, and then they called 11 fouls. It was 11-0, the foul calls, and then the tech. So it was, like, literally the whole, like, we were, if, let's say we were up by 20. I don't remember exactly how much it was. They called 11 fouls. That's 22 free throws plus a tech. It was a span of eight minutes. A span of eight, it was eight minutes and some change where they call foul after foul after foul. They even got Ernie... Ernie upset. Ernie never got upset about anything. Yeah, yeah. Ernie was upset. And it was just like, this is this is ridiculous. Like, really? This is how it's going to happen? And so, and that was my thing also, was like, as a basketball coach, I don't care about wins. And, I mean, we care about wins and losses. But my thing is if we learn from our losses. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean. It's hard to yeah, learn anything was, from that. Yeah, other than yeah, some I mean, very. We, undefeated. we could take a loss. It wasn't That wasn't a big deal. It was. The way we took a loss, you're not going to demean us or demean me and call that. I mean, everybody on our team was frustrated after the game, and it wasn't because of that one situation. It was how the, the game was called, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my thing is we're cheating the kid. That was my that was my whole thing, plain and simple. Um, 
Now, if I had it to all to take it back, of course I would because I feel like I cheated you guys. That was my biggest thing also was that I felt like I cheated you guys out of the experiences and the opportunities that we could have had. We were about to go on and do some special things. We we, yeah. we, yeah. we was ready. And it wouldn't have been just that year because that was the first year we kind of were all together. It was only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And how well you guys were doing was doing well for me on the recruiting trail because I could show them, you know what I'm saying? This is this is who we are. This is a, a, a semblance of what it, what we're building up to. Um, I wasn't thinking like just WCC conference. That's why we had, you know, we were playing like, what was that River Valley? And, and, oh, yeah, Rock Valley. Yeah. Rock Valley, right? Because my thing was like, let's get the experience to like have some fun with this. We, a lot of you guys weren't going to have the opportunity to play past those two years, three mm-hmm. years, because they gave you, gave you out three. After that three years, you know, the basketball will be over. So let's have the best three years of basketball as close to the highest level that you can and then have those experiences to talk about. Um, and I felt like I did a good job. We had, if I told you the amount of players that we had contact me after seasons to see if there was space for them to come play from other schools, it it was kind of funny. Because it was like I had quite a few players that were good players that after the season, they were ready to transfer. Yeah. Come to you, Rod. Um but like I said, I made I made a bad choice, um, and that's the part where I didn't like it. it. Was just that we weren't able to see all the hard work come to fruition. We had put in some work. So then, so after you know that that all happens, and um, what was it like? So you had to go back up there the next day because I'll tell you from from my perspective, what happened was we was it after school? It was after classes um, the next day. And like I hadn't heard it, like we hadn't really heard anything about it. Like literally, I don't think any. If I I might be missing, but I, blanking, but I don't think anyone had said anything. And then um, we showed up. I think someone, one of the guys, had texted me and said like, "Oh, um, uh, the athletic director and the dean are um, they want to meet with us." And I was like, "Oh shit, okay." And so I I walk into the gym and um, you know they're there and they they just and we waited till everybody got there and they told us uh you know jamal is not gonna be uh the coach he's not gonna be coaching right now um there's a inter- you know we've got an internal investigation or whatever i forget what verbiage was used basically they said they were investigating it and um that that yeah that that was that was it we weren't gonna get to talk to you or um hear anything about it until it was figured out from them and see so this is my thing when it happened, because I knew there were some of you guys on the bench that could um, support what had went on. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same token, this is, I went back and forth with my wife about this. Uh, that was, for a lot of you guys, that was your first foray into college basketball. And for a lot of you guys, you guys were young, fresh out of high school. I didn't want your first foray into sports to be me asking you guys to come support your coach because he made the decision do something right mm-hmm. so when i talked to grant grant had kind of requested um well grant really probably he didn't really say too much about the, the team mm-hmm. but i kind of had told him that i wouldn't reach out to anybody just because i wanted to shield you guys from after it went in i saw it on nbc so after it hit there and, I, and it's the one where you hit the shot so after i saw that it was like all right i don't want you guys to have to deal with any of the um feedback that comes from this so it would be better just to for me to step away and fight it on my own. Um, so if y'all notice, I never, I never reached out to anybody. Yeah, no, yeah. It um, was, um, 
I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I was gonna say it was, it was a very weird situation for myself and for a lot of the guys. I know that. I know. Um, you you mentioned earlier that you that David had came and saw you in Iowa. Were you guys? Was that this was after all of this, right? Well, actually, it was down here in Stoughton. So oh. I had a. Uh, well, that was like that summer. Well, not that was before that. To be honest with you, I didn't see. Oh, okay. I haven't seen anybody since then. Okay, because I know. I know. Right before. That I, summer, right before that happened, I had the hard work. I worked for a, a company called Breakthrough Basketball. So then, to be honest, I worked for a company called Breakthrough Basketball. So besides coaching at UROC, my money maker was I would work uh, basketball camps for this Breakthrough Basketball, which mm-hmm. tell me traveling nationwide. And so through the summers, I'd be gone two, three months out the summertime because I'm traveling to different spots um, doing these basketball camps. And I got paid well for it. And yeah. so one time I had a camp here in Stoughton, and Dave came down and he worked the camp with me. This okay. would have been right before the season. Started. Oh, okay, cool. I, yeah, okay, um, I was misconfusing the timeline. So, uh, so you didn't... because of that, I lost a lot of stuff. So after this situation ho- happened, not only did I lose that job at UROC and and they kind of distanced themselves, but then I also lost that job. I was gonna ask about that. Yeah, what like because I obviously saying you were doing a bunch of other stuff then. I'm sure it made it difficult to. Uh kind of figure out what you were going to do Boom. in that moment. So when I lost that job, I'm, I'm, I'm in a funk, right? And so because I have a love for basketball, here goes, here where this, the real story comes in. So because I got a love for basketball, I go back to playing. So I'm down here at Princeton Club playing like I'm y'all's age again because I used to play with you guys from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I'm using that as my therapy to kind of get through this time in my life. Um, and then I end up um, breaking my thumb. Right. Oh, man. So I'm, I'm out for about five weeks with the thumb. Um, I get it back. Um, the first time I go s- step out on the court to play full court again, tear my ACL. Oh, my God. Tear my ACL. No. Oh, my goodness. I'm yeah. so sorry. Tear my had... ACL. So I'm using basketball as my therapy to deal with all the BS that I'm going through because of this. And now not only can I not coach, I can't even play anymore for my ACL. God. Out. Did you ever have knee injury before that, or was that the first Never time? Never before. Oh, my goodness. And I'm a hooper hooper, so my thing is, I told myself, if I ever had a knee injury, I'm putting the shoes up. Time to bronze them. I'm never playing again. That's like the worst thing you could do. Mm-hmm. And so when I tore my knee, that made situations even worse, right? Um, but they say adversity makes a person, right? It's how you respond to everything. Um, so I went through a dark period, almost like what you were talking about. I went through a dark period. I can't play basketball. I can't coach basketball those are one of the most important things i've ever done in my life um Mm -hmm. i went through a period of depression yeah mental health is serious i went through a period of depression where um i was seeing a a therapist um and just talking out my anger um about situations about life and so uh, because of that um what it did was almost i want to say it happens overnight but you begin to see situations in a different light. And so instead of me looking at situations like they were dark and despair, what the therapy helped me to do was look, look at situations like there was always an answer to it. There was always, there was always something on that other end. And that at the end of the day, you're going to be you. The true you is going to shine no matter what. So if I'm really the person that, that NBC and everybody thinks that I am, then I will be that and time will tell. But mm-hmm. if I'm really who I think I am, time will tell. And so over those, now we've been almost three years ago, but 
since that time, it didn't slow my grind, right? So I tore my ACL. Like a month after I tore my ACL, I found out my wife was pregnant with a son. Then we ended up looking forward to having a child. I never underwent ACL surgery, but like in January of that following year, um, when I was supposed to go through ACL injury, the doctor was like, for some reason, your knee is strong enough where if you don't want to do ACL surgery, you don't. I, ha- wow. I still play. That's I've incredible. never had ACL surgery. That's Somehow incredible. I know they say that sometimes it can heal, like depending on the severity of it, that it can heal there. So that's that's awesome. Yep. I mean, congrats, congrats on that. Not that you want to tear it in the first place, but congrats on being okay and on the and on you know um, having another child. That's awesome. Thank you, thank you. And so like things just started happening after that, right? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm, my basketball company. So I was I went back to training. Went back to training kids. I didn't have a facility, so I'm outdoors training kids at parks, um, wherever I can. And so what I started doing was running weekly free basketball camps at an area in Madison that was having issues with um, some crime. There was a an apartment complex on the edge of the on the edge of the neighborhood, and it was having some nuisance issues. Mm-hmm. So I started running a basketball camp to try to get those kids to come and hoop and talk to them about mental health and able to not only talk to them about mental health, but to talk to their parents about mental health. And it picked up and COVID hit. And once COVID hit, it threw a crimp in the plans. But after COVID, like the, well, I shouldn't say after COVID, but that summer right before COVID was fully on, um, I had 20 kids at the park regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, we were running, um, we were running uh, voter registration drives we were doing food pantry drives. Um, we were just doing so many different things that didn't just depend on basketball. Yeah. When they would come to the camps, they would get so much more. Wow. So yeah. That kind of delved into my basketball and where I'm at now. That's yeah. That's crazy. That that turn of events. Then so when I guess kind of in that you know that three year period then because um, I know. For us, we ended up, you know, not getting to have you as a coach anymore, which was, you know, very tough. But I, I, the only contact that I, I got to, I got to have with you was the initial uh, or the ending um, sentencing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you mentioned that you served twenty uh, something days um, in yeah. in jail, so that um, I can't imagine, you know how it was getting out and then having to just kind of figure out what was going on. I, did you have Huber, I think, right? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And and I, I remember Huber. specifically, and this was the other thing, um, and probably hopefully the last time I have to talk about the disgustingness that is Waukesha. Um, the, I remember the, the judge specifically saying that he didn't think that he, he thought that you were, he thought that you were a good guy and he thought that um, it wasn't, you know, that, bad of a an issue really and that you know with your son's whole thing already going on like that was kind of already settled and he's he basically made it seem like i think what his i can't remember his exact quote and i don't want to i mean this is fucking like documents documented i'm sure somewhere but i thought from my memory he said um you know you're not this monster and all these other things but i don't think the city of waukesha would sleep knowing i didn't do anything and with that red make an example and with that well, what the that read to words me was we have to make an example. of it. That's okay, yeah. And so that's what that read to me was, you can't, 
you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's already been settled with your son and this individual. Um, you're not this villain that this guy is pretending that you are. Um, but because of how this looks and because of the color of your skin, I don't think the city of Waukesha would be able to sleep knowing that I didn't do anything to this, that I didn't put you in jail for 20 something. It's not like you were like, that's the thing that bothers me too. It's like, if it does it like the, the hypocrisy of it, like it doesn't make sense to put you in like it's showing that you didn't do anything wrong because you're only going for 20 some days so it's like why the fuck don't we just skip it all together waste of time that's it just really was it really and again this is me being i was 20 at the time or something you know like and still now 22 years old like i don't maybe i'm not grasping it but from my perspective that's what it reads to me that's how it that's how it looks to me and that's how it sounded to me being there and i'll i will say having you know the news there and and hearing the the referee speak, um, I was very disturbed. I was I was very disturbed that day. And so this is the thing that I don't know where the mental therapy help comes from. I was angry. I'm not even going. And and y'all know me. I can I can get angry at times, but I was never the type that I would get, you know, rah rah angry. Yeah. So for me, my anger has always been a slow anger and, and I do my anger in private. And so that was the one time where it was angry because exactly how you said it looked, it was. And so what therapy made me or helped me to understand was the way I saw it and the way you saw it was really the truth. And, that, and that's what it was. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and I'm, it may not make sense, but that's the ugly truth. And it's either we understand the ugly truth and learn to deal with it. Or not even deal with it or do something to do something about it yeah um but the ugly truth was that no matter what he did he was going to be protected and like you said um the, the damage had been done yeah but because the news because it had blown up on a national spotlight that was why the judge felt like he had to do something and even my lawyer told me that and so that was the another reason to be angry right there because it was like all right so once again, I'm being penalized when I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm being penalized because of the now the way it looks. Yeah. Right. Just moving the um, goalposts, you know, it was like at first it was, oh, you did this. And then it's like, OK, well, actually, literally, like for it to even make sense for us to charge this other person that would then say, like, like, obviously you didn't fucking do it then. So we know like that's just what blew my mind was like, OK, you guys already settled this other thing. And so before you said I did this thing, but now you're saying this person did this thing. So now you're moving the goalposts to just say, well, it looked like you did this thing, so we got to so do something. Gonna... Yeah, it's just. And this is the crazy part. When you look at the legal terms, attempt, I think they gave me attempted battery. That's something that's very rarely given in that court. People didn't even, people didn't even know what that was when I told them it was attempted battery, because that's something that's very rarely given. It's either battery yeah. or assault, right? Um, that was their way, I guess, to appease everybody else. We'll give him attempted battery. So it's not seen as bad as a battery, but it's still, it's still, it's still a charge, right? It's still something that yeah. shows up. And so you're not doing me any favors by, whether it was battery or attempted battery, you're not doing me any favors. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I had a lot of anger with that because it was just like, all right, I put in, I put in all this work to get here and then to have this happen. Even now, um, reason part of the reasons why I don't coach and, I've, and I'm running the grind factory right now. I got a lot of kids um, coming in and out of the gym. 
I've had some teams contact me. I've had some pretty high-level AAU teams contact me to see if I wanted to train or even coach their AAU teams. My thing is I don't want to give somebody the opportunity to take my joy away from me. I saw how easily it happened in Waukesha, and they could do that again. And yeah. I'm not – there's no guarantees that it won't happen again now. I'm, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that it won't happen again. Right. Yeah. And so that's my thing now is they ask me why I only train. And this is why I only train. I don't want to coach and put myself in that position. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely get where you're coming from, especially, you know, being this is your thing. This is your you're the you know, you own this. You get to do this. You you do it when when you want to with who you want to. Right. And and it's in a you know, you control the environment. You don't have to leave anything up to the chance of some crazy person like in that in uh waukesha incident so that's um yeah it's it's crazy it's just so i guess the last thing i i um i want to get into then was when when everything was like set and done then did they or i guess everything wasn't set and done when we were getting ready because it took the court case took a while right it took like over a year i kind of we said it's kind of still going on like the court the criminal court case is over yeah Right. But like he's still trying to get money Jesus. and he he's still trying to get money. And so we're still kind of fighting that behind the scenes as well. Jesus. But like I said before, it's all about who you are as a person. Um, what I was doing four years ago or three years ago, I'm still doing now. I was still involved with basketball. I was still involved with supporting and helping and empowering student athletes. I can't tell you where that referee is at right now. I can tell you he's not doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's my thing is the proof is in the pudding. It hasn't stopped me from doing what I was going to accomplish from the beginning. This is what I was called to do. He might want to question his, right, for his reasons. For doing it. Yeah. That's, yeah, I can say that you were, um, you were missed. You were very, very missed by the team and by myself personally. Um, I appreciate that. Because the thing that you got to understand, especially with, now, like you said before with you and Tim, when we we all have our preconceived notions, I didn't have you as my starting point guard. I, I can't I, even lie. No, I know. I was aware. Yeah, it was. I the, knew where I was going. What I was going up against. The point guard, the point guard position, especially as being a, a point guard myself, that's the uh, they're the ones that set the tone for your team, right? Because they're the ones bringing the ball up the court. They're kind of the face of the team until you get to the other players on that on that squad. And so for me, I always wanted my point guards to kind of embody what our team was about. And going in, you wasn't my starting point guard, but I think you started the season as the starting point guard. Never lost it throughout. Yeah, yeah. Um, once once we played our first game, I was already starting. That was you embodied what our team was about. We were hard. We were the one. We were underdogs, hard workers. We didn't have all our chips in a row. We didn't have the best of everything. But when you played us, you was going to have to strap up tight. You was going to have to bring your your lunch pail. It wasn't going to be easy. And so. Um, those were one of the things, like, after we talked, I didn't talk to you guys for a long time. And then to hear that you were um, thriving at that level, that's what was probably one of my biggest joys because I, I, I saw it in you. I ain't going to lie. I saw it in you. But I knew you were kind of capable of those things. And then to throw you, that would have been the fun part, was the following season to throw you on a team with, you know, now we have a seasoned Jacob, you have a seasoned Ernie, uh, we might have had a couple more recruits. You got, you know, kids that have now a year under their belt, and we had an entire summer to train and do like we had did the summer before. Um, I would, that would have been the fun part to kind of see where. We were. 
Yeah, I that that would yeah that would have been um, some really special. I think I think you're absolutely right. I I also think even that that season had those things not happened. I I think um, you know we probably would have had a chip on the way. Yeah, I mean this is what a lot of people don't understand, and it, it just adds another layer. Like obviously the more important shit is what ended up happening. Obviously like the shit that that case and and just the ideology behind things that were being said by this other individual, like that's more important than basketball, like that kind of shit. I think everybody can understand that, but there also was like the people, like, you know, myself and the rest of the team, uh, like the day to day, like we're coming to practice now. And it's, um, I forget his name. I, for- I Bill, I forget his last name. Um, Close to girls. Yeah. You'd very oh, nice, very yeah. nice dude. Super nice yeah, guy. Super um, cool dude. But, you know, and with all, you know, with all due respect, it, guys, some guys took advantage. It's it's weird when you have a crisis or you have like um, uh, a traumatic experience, something like that that happens. Like people react to it differently, so we we get kind of told like, okay, this is he's get, this guy's gonna be the coach for right now. Actually, Grant ended up sitting on the bench for our first game that you were out there for, and we won. It, we, we we scrubbed some team, and 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 Grant just said he's like, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just gonna let you guys. You guys know what you're doing. You guys, I'm gonna just be here because you can't not have a coach. And yeah. um, and he did. And salute to him. It was awesome. And but then obviously he can't fucking be there every day. You know he can't coach the team. And so they had to get someone else in. And and Bill obviously they didn't have a girls team that year. So he he stepped in. And um, some people took advantage of that where uh, he turned in. He was more of I was the cap. I was a captain that year. But like. D harp and some of the older guys were the guys that like i guess had more say than i did at that point in time right. and so like to and they would they'll attest to this they all when that when you that had happened checked out and um they they you know they stopped coming to practices other guys just uh would show up and get shots up and then leave mm-hmm. um and and bill too to you know he didn't I, I credit him. It, it was kind of like being an awkward like stepdad. It's like yeah, he I don't didn't sign up for that. Right? Yeah, and it's, I felt <laughs> so bad for him because it's like if he tries to say anything, then it's like yo, shut the fuck. I'm not calling you dad. I'm not calling you coach. <laughs> like I think TJ and I had right. a joke that he would TJ would always be. Like, I'm not gonna call him coach. I don't care. Like as a TJ is just joking, but it was like it was like that. Like he couldn't get hard on. Like he couldn't be hard on us because no right. one's gonna try. Like you know you haven't been here. But then he also, by not doing anything, then people are just kind of doing whatever, and and we suffered because of that. And then we had a whole. And nother... that was one of my biggest frustrations right there, is because, like, I, and I keep saying this, it wasn't what they necessarily took from me. Because for me, I've been through so much in my life that I'm gonna come out on the winning end. I'm gonna make sure of that. But mm-hmm. it was like they took from us the team. They took away some great experiences, right? Yeah. Um, and that was my, like I said, I'm all about opportunities and experience. There were so many other opportunities that could have came be- if we would have had a whole another year and a half to play, right? Yeah. Um, almost like what you're saying about what you going to uh, uh, trying to get into school. In yeah. most situations, especially with the numbers that you put up, even at the division that we were, if you had a coach go to bat for you and maybe make some extra phone calls, I would make phone calls, make those extra phone calls to try to get you to a school. You may have had other options available. Yeah. You may not have taken them. Right. Yeah. It may still be where you're at now, but you would have had other options that you could have chosen chosen from. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that was taken from a lot of you guys. Um, I think Jacob could have played at a four year. I think that was taken from him. Yeah. Um, 
And so, like, for me, that's the, where my anger came in. I'm going to land on my feet. But we took away something, an experience from you guys that they really didn't want you guys to have anyway, but we were going to have it regardless. We had, a, we had fun. We had some experiences. And that was just like the tip of the iceberg. We were just getting started. Yeah. And, and, I, and like I said before we went live, um, he was on, okay, he was on the bench for – Grant said he was on the bench for three games. They were our home games. Yeah, we had three home games in a row. He was undefeated. He just reminded yeah, undefeated. Me. Yeah. Um, and so um, – that was something that we talked about off air where I was mentioning, you know, you could really feel it's, it's not like we didn't know how much you cared about it while you were there. Definitely. I definitely did personally. I know I would be in there as much as I could with you before practices and, but like, but yeah, but a lot of like, like I was mentioned to you before we went live, you really felt it when you were gone. You definitely felt, um, I know to my knowledge, like you, you helped us get those like like just like little shit like getting us extra jumpsuits like even though like like just getting the opportunity like okay you guys can get these jumpsuits for a little extra money like i got a deal from this person like we're gonna get these set up or getting us uh you you funded completely those extra pullover shirts and whatnot that we wore and and we did this like it was kind of silly little thing after you were gone we we would wear them inside out every game to like show like yeah because we were like in defiance we were rebelling yeah yeah, we were gonna we were gonna do other things to like kind of show a little rebellions but uh we just i don't it was already we had already caused enough problems and we weren't winning as much anymore so we were all kind of bombed and Uh, yeah it was it was take that though i'll take it yeah we we definitely we definitely missed you and i i i think you definitely um like you said, your true character shines through. Even just explaining what you've been doing now, um, in in Madison and in that area and helping people and and I was gonna ask you how you know how did you get back into all of it and you kind of answered that before me before I even got to ask because, like you said, you're gonna work. You're going to make it happen and no matter what, they're not gonna. They might have got a bucket on you once, but you're not gonna let them get the. You know, you we're playing. It's win by two, and and you're gonna win by two. and and i um i don't know i salute you for that and i i really i i look up to to the things you've been able to do yeah i appreciate that from especially coming from d reader that was one of the things i also told my guys today was like you know the gym i had to let my other trainer take some of my appointments but i said it felt good to say that i have a podcast with one of my former athletes right one (laughs) it shows that we not we not all just basketball players we have other interests outside of that Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one good part, but then to be able to say that they, that he has a podcast, a thriving podcast, right. Um, shows them that the other possibilities outside of basketball, There's other ways to be happy and make a living and do something worthwhile and fulfilling and satisfying. Um, and it's not necessarily have to right? Yeah. Take the lessons you learn from the sport. Exactly. You learn from it and you can apply it to those things. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Um, now I, we, we've covered a, we covered a lot of bases here. We, we covered pretty much all like, you know, you're, you're getting into basketball, you getting into coaching the whole us meeting and, and that the whole fallout from the incident and whatnot. Do you have any questions for me, Jamal? Oh, it's time to be interviewed. D Rita. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, see, that was my thing was like the D Rita. That was my starting point guard is definitely not the D talks host of a thriving podcast rapper slash all the <laughs> other things that he is. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we kind of got into that, um, off air before we got here. But, um, what, 
what was it that made you take that interest? The, the pool, because you weren't necessarily the most out. It took once you got to know you. Yeah, you were outgoing, but mm -hmm. you were a quiet cat. Now to see how, kind of how you burst on the scenes and <laughs> yeah, where did that come from? Well, yeah, I think you're right in that. Like I, I am definitely not like I'm not like the most outgoing person. Like person at when it comes to like i guess when i'm entering a situation where like i don't really know how people like what their intentions are what other people are um thinking of me and whatnot i think i got like a little bit of an unhealthy i call it the healthy amount of narcissism where like i really do worry about how people are thinking about me but i try to suppress that so it's not so bad yeah, um yeah. but i Be think cool. yeah. i think um you know especially joining a team like that i would i just had a lot of shit going on in my own head where like I think before you rock, I was a lot maybe similar to how I am now. I've, I've probably grown from those experiences and whatnot, probably a more developed version of it. But when I got to you rock, I was kind of on a mission to prove a lot of people that had kind of wronged me um, in the past to prove them yeah. wrong and, and to prove that I wasn't insane for thinking that I could do certain things. And mm. and um, so I think when I was showing up, I kind of knew I, I, you know, this guy's telling me that he, oh, coach asked me to come from Madison and he said, I'm gonna be the point guard. Oh, and I got people like talking to my ears. So I, I think it, once I knew that I, this was my family and I knew that these guys were my brothers, then it was like, I'm cool. But like before that I had to like, I'm gonna kill every one of you until you guys respect <laughs> me. You know, like I gotta be on like some, like, I, I don't know. I gotta be on like that killmonger. I gotta, I gotta take the king out first. Then I'll be yeah. cool with everybody. And, and so, um, it uh that definitely I, I think i just had a lot of stress going on before i opened up like that so yeah but so but now i got another one for you okay I'll throw questions that i don't get to be on podcast often so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk my shit while i'm here good good um so 80 this is 85 do you remember who number one was yeah it was uh my girlfriend who's helping out um behind the scenes it was her aunt is that right yeah she and i we were both um so i got this job actually right after our season the season that you were uh the coach for um because mm -hmm. i my, my parents owned a, a pizza place when i was growing up and when i had started going to school at urock still did um mm -hmm. and uh kind of out of nowhere to my knowledge obviously behind the scenes they knew um it, it just went out of like literally my dad like i worked for my dad and me and tim both worked for my dad and then all of a sudden he like called me one weekend and was like yeah, this weekend's gonna be the last weekend you guys are working. And I was like, oh, fuck. Well, I gotta pay rent, you know? Like, I, and so it, uh, it kind of fucked me and I didn't have a job. And, um, shout out to, uh, some of the people over at UROC that, you know, work in high places really helped me out and helped me with money from time. I, I seriously, Curtis knows he was living with me and Tim. We didn't have money, we didn't have food, we, our heat broke in the middle of the winter. <laughs> We were all like cuddling in Tim's room to fucking survive. Like it was disgusting. And, and so, um, it, uh, I got, ended up getting this job cause my girlfriend's aunt worked at this like mixology bar and I don't drink. Mm -hmm. I've never drank or smoked weed and nothing. I don't, yeah. I just don't do any of that. And, um, and I've, you know, grown, I've been around people that kind of suffered from like alcoholism before in my past. So yeah. I just never been attracted to that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But she, they offered me to be a bar back. And so, like, I just stock in the bar and doing other shit. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, like, three weeks in to me working there, um, 
all the bartenders that they hired for the summer kind of were duds because it's like it's not just regular bartending it's like got to know all the different flavors and there's bitters and we're smoking mm -hmm. cocktails and all this shit and they were like well you're a smart kid do you want to try it and they just kind of threw me in on a friday night and then i did that for a couple of years and it was it was a lot of fun and i made a lot of money doing that so but she was super interesting and she like loves homeopathy and i think that's how it's pronounced and uh it's like all essential oils and shit so it was like yeah. when we me and my video guy decided we were going to do a podcast we were like he he worked at the bar with me and we just kind of looked around and we we're like renee you want to do this with us and, and she was like she was like sure and so she was on the first one and that was number one mm -hmm. and the yeah. rest is history yeah now we're 85 in we're approaching 100 so it's uh it's been crazy but yeah i i guess i also too to answer your earlier question because i think i kind of dodged it was i've always wanted to do um with music and like hip-hop especially i've mm -hmm. i just kind of grew up like i grew up like idolizing like hip-hop musicians and basketball players mm -hmm. and i think like they're both two sports that or not two sports they're both two like things and, and cultures that definitely have a lot of like uh history being intertwined you know all, every rapper wants to be a ball player every ball player wants to be a rapper and i i got to play college basketball and i rap so I, that works out for me because i don't remember any freestyles or anything from d rita they did in the locker room they did play so this is funny the next year they actually played um i heard logan bradley ended up playing some of my music during one of our warm-ups and uh yeah he played some of my shit during our warm-ups and that was just hilarious to me and so oh, that's cool so i got to do that a little bit but yeah i always wanted to do it and i think i've just always like idolized like that that culture and so i i it's something i really wanted to do and once i went to yeah. college and got away from some of the people i was growing up with and because people put you in a box you know and you kind of get these, uh, there's a couple moments in your life i feel like where you get to choose to like reinvent yourself a little bit and i just wanted to do it so i just kind of took the leap and did yeah, look at that evolved into what you got now that's what it is exactly yeah we're we're uh surviving not thriving that's that's what i like to say <laughs> so that's the fun part man you gotta have fun with that part as well exactly curtis rankin says that you were one of the best coaches he ever had hands down so man tell him i'll pay him later you gotta <laughs> see me to make him pay though that's fair <laughs> that's fair um um i i guess that's that's all i've got for you jamal unless you've got other questions for me no i appreciate you looking out for me d rita allow me to be able to come on and and kind of talk my shit absolutely that's right talk yeah you can you can say whatever you want whatever you want <laughs> hang um, out with you man i know uh, i appreciate it. you being here i appreciate you being here i appreciate all you're doing um i know you you know you provided a lot of guidance to me and guys in on in and around the team when we were around each other all the time and and I, i'm just i'm proud to see the stuff you're doing in madison with and like with the grind factory and outside of that so um I appreciate it man yeah i just you know like you said the real you is going to come through in the end and i think it already it already has and so i'm i'm happy to see uh to see jamal and the jamal that i know so yeah i'll take it and you gotta you always got a fan over here like I always told you, I'm gonna be your biggest fan. So I'm a subscriber. I appreciate so I'm that. Be here and checking you out, man. Cool, cool. You're gonna have to force some of the kids that come into the gym, like, go click that red button. So. Yeah, you, I told them already <laughs> he was on the podcast, so they you better got some good, you better the analytics better prove a little jump yeah. or something. 
Well, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll send you the, I update the thumbnail and stuff in the morning and I'll send it to you and they'll be able to listen to it on Spotify if they prefer to do it that way too. So, um, but yeah, thank you for being on Jamal. I, I really appreciate, um, just every, every bit of insight that you were able to give, especially getting to hear your side of things that we've talked about a lot here on the channel. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm just thankful that thankful for you coming on and and uh, grateful to see all the things you're doing. So glad to be here, man. All right. With all that being said, I want to say thank you to our patrons um, who should be up on the screen right now. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the channel. Um, if you guys are interested and wanted to become a patron, uh, just go to patreon.com slash Darren Rita. The um, we post over on there on Wednesdays every week behind the scenes on how we do either podcasts, how we create certain videos, um, as well as how we produce and mix and master songs of mine. So uh, if you guys are interested in any of that, you can go there and join for as little as a dollar a month. Um, and we've got Curtis Rankins coming on next week. Um, missing anything? Oh, shout out to Kenosha Auto Insurance for sponsoring this episode. And um, that's it for me. Jamal, any last words before we end the show? Hey, I'm calling next week for C. Rankins, so make sure he know that. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Um, yeah, take it easy. Absolutely. All right, I will see you guys in the